Greetings, Standard Nerds. This is Christopher McClanahan from DeeplyDapper.com, and I'm joined by Tom Chiaramante of ThirdRailDesignLab.com. And it's time to... Release the... Kraken! This week we appease the beast with talk of Civil War. So the Civil War segment on this is actually something that we pre-recorded quite a few weeks ago and had planned to release as a bonus episode, and then I got caught up with cons and whatnot and never got a chance to actually edit and publish it. So we last week we sat down and we recorded an updated news segment and some planned plundering and sucking the monkey, all those sweet, sweet segments we usually cover. And sadly, my microphone decided to crap the bed, and not only did it not work quite correctly, and we spent a lot of time tinkering with it, but the episode we ended up with had a severe amount of static. This is what happens when you're as awesome as we are, I guess. Uh, So unfortunately, the pre-recorded episode of Civil War will run unaccompanied here with... A little bit of input from me now, and I'll come back around at the end and tell you where you can find us. But otherwise, enjoy our discussion of the movie Civil War. Actually, Captain America, Civil War. Let's do some Kraken reviews. Kraken reviews. Let's let's are, make the Kraken happy and tell it what we thought of the movies we went and saw. Or the what movie. We, we saw something this, this past Yeah, weekend. we both went and saw... In two very different experiences, I imagine. You say it. You say it so well. Captain America Civil War. No, you say Civil War. Civil War, see? (laughs) (laughs) It's war, ladies and gentlemen. Civil War. Total war. Captain America, see? (laughs) (laughs) So I saw it at the Alamo Draft House, which is the theater I love here in San Francisco, where you, you bring your cocktail into the into your seat and then you order food and drinks right from your little table and they serve you throughout the show at high prices that are (laughs) well-deserved. And, uh, and what I love about this theater, I was thinking about this coming out is that, um, you know, I saw force awakens there Mm -hmm. on their opening. It was their opening of the theater. Right. First big movie. And here's a movie that we were obsessed about before it came out and all this anticipation. And then I go and I was at a time when I, w- I have never been less interested in seeing movies in the theater. I'm so <laughs> tired of all the distractions and the annoyances of being there versus being right. at home. I was becoming really old. And meh, yeah. and then I saw Force Awakens at this theater that does all of this spectacle about going to the theater. All this unique experience you can't get at home. Like 30 minutes or 20 minutes of pre-curated content related to the movie you're going to watch that's <laughs> cut from old videos and, you know, really nutty nutty stuff that's and awesome. then all the delicious food and drinks and and the fact that everybody's having a good time together in this right. setting it's not the density of a modern theater it's really <laughs> spacious because you have the tables and everything right so that theater alamo has redefined to me what it means to see a movie in the theater today and so i'm really thankful for that because it's an ex- it's a it's a level of fun that i had kind of lost over the last several years you know, right so what did you eat when you went? Like, what kind of food did you get? This time I didn't go nuts. Usually I get appetizers with whoever I'm with, plus entrees, and it's just a lot of food. And mm-hmm. 
So this time, for the first time, I successfully didn't order an entree. So I got delicious deviled eggs with bacon on bacon. Like deviled they have bacon, eggs. Interesting. Bacon flags, bacon flags coming off of it. <laughs> um, they're they're really known for their uh, chips and queso, which is a they have a kind of a cheese dip that has white mm-hmm. like chilies and a white cheese, and it, it's a very interesting flavor. Very good. And then uh, and then my buddy ordered. Uh, a sriracha coated popcorn, which we thought oh, was going to be very spicy. We thought it'd be really spicy, hmm. but it was actually pretty mild. And then, um, uh, yeah, that was, I don't know. I think we maybe got something else, but I can't remember. Maybe not. Um, I was going to get the Brussels sprout salad, which I get every time. It's a, hmm. it's a chopped salad, finely chopped Brussels sprouts with a lot of stuff in it, which I really like. Huh. Um, but I just didn't. And then we went to eat afterwards. So it, it was a great, it was a great combination. I love the full meals there, but this time, it was nice to be. That's um, interesting. Yeah, I had never actually asked you what you get at that theater, so I was curious. Like, we went and saw it at the Carmike Theater here in the Big D Theater, which the is such a ridiculous name. They're, they even have a design so that it looks like a penis in the logo. And oh, we, we decided to see it in the 2D version because oh, yeah. we figured 2D was plenty of big Ds for us. <laughs> and it's one of those theaters where it's kind of a knockoff IMAX where the screen's huge and they've got the big booming sound and all of that. Um, the thing I like about that theater is that it's it's very steeply ascended so that there's not there's never any chance of my short little wife not being able to see some over somebody's head, that kind of thing. The thing that sucks about it is if you get there late, you're in the, the nosebleed seats, which are right up front where you can't see a damn thing because the screen's like 25 feet tall. Sure. Um, and, you know, we smuggled in our soda under our coat and we bought the a bucket of popcorn. So mine was far less glamorous than yours. And the theater was obscenely hot. Like they didn't oh, have that's... a single fan turned on. So by oh. the end of the three-hour movie, we were just absolutely surrounded by nerd funk uh, I felt like I could have set up my table and sold soap at the front of the, the uh, I was the just going to say sounds like you're at Gen Con yeah it was uh, bad <laughs> you know at Alamo when I, when uh, my buddy and I went to see Deadpool we were in the front row and I had actually changed the seating assignment to back corner mm-hmm. but it didn't go through for whatever reason so when we got there I looked at my thing and it still said you know row one and I thought oh man we're screwed Right. so we figured we were just going to lay down flat you know and just <laughs> suffer through it but the nature of of how spacious those those auditoriums are set up that even the front row wasn't miserable that's it wasn't nice. ideal compared to halfway up the thing but it wasn't it was it was quite watchable that's pretty so, cool pretty lucky about that um also in the past where i when i've gone and had full the full dining experience i've gotten um i've gotten a burger there which was really really good and my wife has gotten a a, a pizza that was good and then uh hmm. most recently i got a like a hot brick chicken sandwich so it was really spicy nice. um had coleslaw and everything on it so it was sort of like a fried chicken sandwich but it was really really spicy um but again hmm. this time i did not do that. <laughs> civil war civil so, war so uh, what is the plot war, of civil war how how would yeah, you describe I, this movie but wait, I can't decide whether there was more or less anticipation going into this movie than with Force Awakens because mm-hmm. it was the same sort of thing going in. Force Awakens had like 30 years of embedded energy, right? When you go, when you go in, it's right. like, find my life for me. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I went into Civil War um, humming 
with anticipation. This is not one of those ones where I went in with low expectations and said, you know, make some mistakes. I don't care. Batman v Superman. This right. was one where, you know, I wanted it to be good. Yeah. And, and, and I don't know about you, but I think it was pretty great. Well, according to Imdaba, this is the plot. Fearing the actions of superhumans that are left unchecked, Tony Stark, Iron Man, takes on Captain America while the world wrestles with what kind of hero it really needs. Yeah, okay. That's the description for Batman versus <laughs> Superman, actually. But <laughs> So this movie used the premise of the previous large-scale events in the Marvel Cinematic Universe as the... Uh, as a stepping stone towards an attempt at regulation of superheroic combat on an international scale, mm-hmm. suggesting that they are running around unchecked, doing all this damage, and that with oversight, they can be brought into a more responsible uh, methodology of what they're doing, mm-hmm. which was highly uh, um, false. Yeah. And it reads false when it's when it's described to them, but because they had set up enough characterization in this movie and in previous movies about the motivations of the characters, they them not just calling bullshit on the whole thing. Hold on a second. Uh, was was plausible because the, you know Tony Stark is buying the premise for the most because part he has, for me. So, I, no, sorry, he has the guilt. He uh, has the guilt, but. He's had the guilt. I mean, that's why he became Iron Man in the first place. And, like, the only thing that really triggered any greater guilt in this is that somebody showed up and gave him a photo of somebody that died. And a it was a great scene. It was really good. The hand in the purse, right? But I just, I felt like his motivations weren't as strong as they should have been. Like, Tony Stark is the type of character that questions things more than he did in this this one he talked to one person and had a guilty thought about his dad and mom and kind of that kind of thing and was like nope this is what we're doing sign it it's all good kind of thing that was my biggest problem with the movie was that he never felt like he was looking at things as analytically as he usually does uh and it was my note going in to it that i had written in evernote before you know planning for us talking about it was I felt like that the mechanism of setting this up necessitated that Stark would be blinded by his own hubris and self-absorption in his guilt to question the reality of the situation he was in. Because yes, the Tony Stark that we like to see is the one that would figure out an end game against the government. Right. Would figure out a way to say, you know, we're going to pretend to play ball, but we're not, or, you know, Find some way around it, but in the end, he just he towed the line and 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 hung his hat on. Well, if we do it this way, we have some control, and if we don't do it this way, it could be worse. Right. Um, the the structure of the film necessitated him to be an antagonist, mm-hmm. and while the third act especially made it very personal, and it made it so that you could not you could understand the motivations of both, especially the third act. Right. Right. They, you felt like both were the in the right and both were in the wrong, which is exactly what you want in a family battle mm-hmm. or a civil war, as the name suggests. <laughs> you know, um, at the beginning, it felt like they had neutered Stark in order to set the stage for right. this conflict. Um, that said, interesting that the woman who was 
waiting for the elevator without pressing the elevator button was also from the State Department, right? Yeah, yeah. It seems apparently they cast her before realizing she was also in the Marvel TV series. <laughs> and they're like, well, we're going to violate our own rule about not overlapping characters here and be okay with it. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, according to the literature that he pulled up, her son really did die in, in, uh, in Sokovia. Sokovia, but... Right. Sokovia, but but I, I think there's no accident that she was State Department. Yeah, I thought that and was kind of interesting that you could look at it as it being more of an intentional thing. Doing. Yeah, sure. Yeah, um, I do think though that the the broader context of the Registration Act thing was it was sort of like the framework for the story, but then it became a very personal thing right away. Right. Him saying, I got to think about, I can't talk about this now. I got to go because he's got a message about, right. You know, what was happening. And that instantly put him in a position to prove the negative, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm going to go off and do this thing and therefore just prove everyone right. That say that we are unchecked. Right. Um, my buddy that I went with, uh, Blake was just, I mean, he was so fuming about one aspect of this, that even the next day at the ball game, he was still bringing it up. More beers. <laughs> more beers he drank the more he talked about it he was outraged that they no one said that no one stood up and said that the big disasters that they the collateral damage disasters that they mm -hmm. show as evidence for why uh the avengers need to be um reined in mm -hmm. that it was that it was i mean in their in their zeal to make it like an allegory towards modern warfare's collateral damage on civilians right they completely sidestepped the fact that in the Avengers, it was the same council that said nuke Manhattan. Right. <laughs> and, and then Tony Stark took the, the, the nuke up and threw <laughs> it into the wormhole, whatever it is. But, you know, no one's even saying anything about right. the fact that, you know, that you could poke holes in this. The, the Sokovia rising out of the ground in that crazy Man of Steel style scene where the mm -hmm. whole city goes up. You know, that was all Ultron doing it. And right. we've established that while well, they can blame Stark and Banner for Ultron, it wasn't entirely right. their fault. Yeah. Um, and and then clearly the Avengers thing was, you know, a huge part of that was the culpability of the government. Right. So the fact that no one said it, no one actually verbalized that frustrated my buddy to no end, though. No, well, and, and that was my biggest, like, I love this movie. I thought it was really good. It was super enjoyable. It's immensely watchable. However, <laughs> if you sit down and actually turn your brain back on and start thinking about the little nitpicky stuff, it failed in a lot of places. And so that's why I like I can't even think about the stuff that's bothering me about it because that that scene there bothered me. I think if they had made Tony Stark if they'd made it more about the fact that he created Ultron through his hubris and his, oh, I can do this because I'm Tony Stark and I can do anything, and I can do it not, myself. I can do it by myself, right? right? Instead of, oh, well, we killed people and the victims. If they'd made it more on that end, I think Tony Stark's motivation would have been a lot more understandable and more realistic. But instead, they were like, oh, we're going to make it about the collateral damage because that's what Joe Schmo will associate with it. Well, and and also, um, the 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 structure of the of the plot was Captain America is going to go on the run. He's going to run from the government mm -hmm. in order to pick, pick loyalty to friends over loyalty to country, and it's the nomad storyline from, from right. the comics, as opposed to what it really needed to be, which was uh, a conflict between his ideology and Stark's ideology, because right. it boiled down to those two individuals, and there was a lot 
to point fingers at Stark about. Mm-hmm. For all of his guilt, he made decisions. He's done things that would lead them not to say that he did things that were wrong, but he made actions that led to the Sokovia Accords. Right. Not the team. Right. right. This is really a, the Sokovia Accords are really a response. Boils down to it's a response to, to Stark. Absolutely. And Stark being on the side of the Accords is meant to appease it and be like, well, look, everything's going to be fine because the guy who was the greatest risk. Well, two of them aren't here. Right. Conveniently. I like the line about I know where my missing nukes are when, of course, they don't. <laughs> but, um, you know, so so to me, that was an interesting thing, because, for example, they make all this rhetoric. Ross is making all this rhetoric about how the Avengers being un unsupervised and unchecked and having no oversight is what leads the which makes the risks so high for damage. He doesn't say that they cause the deaths, although some do. He mm-hmm. was saying that their actions, unilateral actions in foreign soil with wanton disregard for safety is as he, as you phrased it, led to this risk. Right. And in fact though, something like the New York thing in Avengers, okay, the New York was going to be nuked because of the alien invasion. Right. As, as a last a last effort to to stem the tide before a global domination would occur. Right. Um, but the Avengers connection led the aliens to Earth. Right. And, and forming the Avengers was part of that. So it's sort of like, you know, you could bounce them back and forth in terms of what what was the cause and the effect. But it boils down to in many cases, it boils down to things that Stark did. Ultron, mm-hmm. Stark and Banner worked on this. And didn't tell the team about. Right. They didn't even have the oversight of the team, which led to conflict in that movie. Well, and so. it, it feels like to me, too, that they did it really slickly, the way they kind of cut S.H.I.E.L.D. out of the equation. So that the government couldn't be like, oh, well, yeah, I know you were working with a government entity, but uh, they're not around anymore. <laughs> it's pretty amazing, right? I mean, that, yeah. that's a- yeah, I thought That's they a did a huge sidestep. Yeah, they they did a good job at kind of making that something that was a non-issue in this, which surprised me because I was like, how are they going to get around that aspect of it? But they just didn't even bring it up. <laughs> but it didn't harm it in that respect. And I think <sighs> there was so much about this movie that I really liked that the the little things that were kind of major plot points didn't bother me about it. And I was kind of okay with that. Um, One thing that I would have really liked to have seen in this was scenes besides the Avengers as justification for this accord. If they'd shown even just three other shots of three other superheroes causing chaos or making a building crumble, that kind of thing, so that it's not just the Avengers that they're picking at on this. Or or a supervillain saying, you know, hey, you know, Iron Man, come, you know, right. come find me, and then and then doing some destruction, you know, those yeah. kinds of things. Uh, uh, so I have one big plot hole that bothered, or not plot hole, but art, the artifice in the plot that I really was bothered by, um, and I'll get it out of the way now as well so we can talk about the things we the liked. stuff we liked, yeah. yeah the, the primary thing that I complain about, the narrative of, the, of Ross hammering the Avengers – was yes, it's it's contrived because it was setting up a system that was right. very closed. It wasn't wasn't very detailed in in the argument, but I did like that the but the individual characters reacted to it and to each other in a realistic way. Mm-hmm. I really bought the friction on the team and how each of them was responding in a different way. Though, the thing that drove me nuts walking out of the theater was why, what what is up with the, uh, 
beyond the scale of the time period, surveillance cams stuck on a tree in the forest. <laughs> yeah, that's a very, very good question. And just like the Sokovia, <laughs> Sokovia Accords meeting, right? slight differences in the way it was written could have completely eliminated those holes. Yeah. The Sokovia Accords thing, all they had to do was say, you know, one other team member saying, wait a minute, you know, the government fired a nuke at the at the population. Right. Or this and that person came down and we formed to fight that battle, whatever it wasn't us, or we did all these things to prevent casualties. Mm-hmm. Like Sokovia, the Sokovia storyline in Ultron was largely about damage control. Right. And picking up refugees and trying to minimize the impact on the population and the whole how many can we save? Not all, but how many can we save? Right. right? And all they had to do was say those things and then have Stark say, but it never would have happened in the first place if, it if wasn't we weren't running around by ourselves. Yeah. And with oversight, the worst that could happen is we have to explain ourselves a little bit more before we jump into action. Right. That would have been a perfectly fine way of setting this up. Yeah. They didn't do. Yeah. They, <clears throat> they made the entire group of Avengers a little too, like, wishy-washy. Well, not even pushover, I guess. They, they were immediately like, oh, I'm with it or – Hell no, I'm against it. And there wasn't any of this, but but wait a minute, kind of stuff that really could have made that scene a lot more interesting and seemed more realistic. Well, they they were establishing in the way that's set up that they were allowing the U.S. government to have a dominant position. Right. Like they're being accused of unilateral international action violating sovereign treaties and all this other stuff, sovereignty of these nations. But right. again, they're sitting in a room being told by daddy or the mm-hmm. principal, attend this class or you are dropped out, kicked out of school. Right. And they're like, oh, should I do the class or not? You think that they, I, I was expecting them more to step up and say, I wanted some voice to say, I don't need to be sanctioned by the U.S. government. Right. I don't want, and if Thor had been there or one mm-hmm. of those kinds of characters that wasn't from Earth or wasn't from, uh, uh, wasn't born into a system of government like that. It would have been interesting for them to step up and say, "Actually, you don't, you don't own me," which would make it even scarier for Ross, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because that's the last thing he wants to hear. Yeah. On the surveillance camera thing, with the, and we're talking about Stark's family, the reveal at the end. Um, right. I, all they had to do was change the setting of that scene to be an urban setting and having Howard Stark uh, coming out over into a military base or something like that, right? And have the reveal being who did it and 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 the details of how they did it being the, the shocking part. But you know, even back at that time, you had rudimentary vis- visual surveillance in military installations and heavily secure locations, and that could have right. been easily explained into existence. Not in <laughs> in 2032, we don't have right. Yeah, the only thing I can think of is if there was some setup there somewhere where there was somebody with a on a motorcycle following him to make sure he did his job and filming him, something right. like that. Even just a little throwaway scene there would have made that entire part make more sense. Or like they do in some movies where the killer sits there and very casually sets up a camera. Right. Then steps away from the camera and does the horrible thing and then goes and looks <laughs> at the camera again. Like it's, they're making a point about making the documentation. Exactly. They could have even done that. He could have, that could have been a part of it. But yeah. Anyway. You just can't. Can't can't dwell on that part because the rest of the movie was so awesome. Well, that's exactly it. There's a lot of stuff I didn't like, but the parts that I did like were so good that they completely overshadowed anything that I didn't like about the movie for the most part. 
this one started the same way Winter Soldier did, where you had a a mission or an event mm-hmm. that was in and of itself felt like it could have been a movie. Right. Like it's just so good and so thrilling. Captain America's assault on Batroc's yeah. uh, takeover of the ship, and then this attack on uh, on Crossbones people, I thought was my cat just woke up from a dream. I was like, meh. Um, I thought it was amazing. That yeah. sequence chasing Crossbones people around and them splitting up. Yeah. And, and leading them into a situation they're going to do something bad um, was amazing. I yeah. Yeah, and the uh, the fight sequences with Black Widow in particular were so good there. They were just amazing. I loved the way she fought. The way they, they shot her fight scenes there were really good. It was almost like they were just like, look, this is Black Widow. She can carry her own movie. Let this right. happen. <laughs> and like you, you won't believe a stunt double can parkour. <laughs> right, right. And and the casual way they used their powers in that sequence was just great. Like the way Cap kicked a truck into somebody. Oh right. Was so good. Oh, so much of that. I loved how Crossbones had that like weird like I don't know, like cyber arms or whatever, like that. Yeah. Punching mechanism on it that would like he would recock it and then he would it was like he was it was like he was using some sort of explosive battering ram on his fists. Right, exactly. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and also, it felt very it felt very tactical. You believed that they had an operation beyond just what they seemed to be doing, mm-hmm. right? Like you bought that this was also you could see as it was happening. You didn't see it maybe as it was happening, but right after it. You start to realize that wow, what a setup! Right. Or led, they were lured into a situation where they would screw it up. Yeah. And and I did not see Scarlet Witch coming. I did not see the way that that. T- I, I wasn't even thinking. Actually, I wasn't even thinking about that plot line from the comics. Right. That a blunder would lead to a massive casualties that would lead to the excuse. Yeah, I liked. I that issues. was just really well done. I liked that a lot. I bought. I bought Scarlet Witch taking it personally. I bought her being so overwhelmed by like realizing i mean everything about the team reacting to that going oh no 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 you know well and and she lost her brother and she's a fish out of water and she doesn't know what she's doing and i think the way they had her kind of just react instinctively and not really part of the team so much as kind of wanting to be but having more power than skill I think really but she's being trained. Right. The whole thing was she was being trained and was trying to do and listening to the listening to Cap giving her his guidance and like we practiced. You mm-hmm. do this and this and him talking to her about that whole thing about walking her through the surveillance and check your exits and all that other stuff. Yeah. Try to using this using this real world situation as a training exercise for her. I thought all that was really great. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely got the vibe where they didn't think this was going to be quite as intense as it was. And so they're like, yeah, let's, let's bring her along. We'll start training her as we go and she can suck the gas out of the building and that kind of thing. And well, and, and they do switch out, switch roles from it being a training exercise to cap saying, wait a minute, they're not going for him. They're going for the, Thing, and then they right and then immediately shift into full mode you know everybody goes into attack at the same time the the scene in which she saves cap from ex- getting and a lot of civilians right his bomb would have gone off yeah there would have been just as many down there it's there right. wasn't really a, a winning situation there 
Right. She she you know she did the she jumped on the grenade with her powers. Right. She grabbed it, flipped him and threw him, and then he blew the building that was occupied. And and there you go. They're in the same boat. But yeah. I totally bought it. She also lost her. Uh, she lost some of her pants, and she also lost her accent. In this movie. <laughs> Off and on, yes. Uh, I had no problem with that. Uh, overall, <laughs> costuming was really good in this movie. Um, uh, whereas in the official Avengers movies, I have problems with choices for some of the costuming for the characters. Here, everybody had – it's like everybody was looking their best. Yeah. The versions of their – outfits were the best and they looked really good and or, and they looked very cohesive but not in an in an overdone way like Avengers 2 was right or color th- colors were, were jumping from one person to the other you know <laughs> it felt very realized and once again for a for a non-Avengers Avengers movie that was better than an Avengers movie right, right absolutely um, how cool was was domestic vision I really liked it I I have some issues with how fast they're trying to move the relationship between him and Wanda. It seemed like it was just like there were a couple of weeks missing there where they just jumped right from battle to slight weird robotic flirtation. But I loved the vision wearing his sweater vests and oh, hanging out. Is that an ascot? Right. Well, but it was nice, though. It seemed like they were suggesting that they had become cl- closer. Certainly, they were mm-hmm. close because they were they knew each other well. But they they had become closer, such that he might be sitting there. I thought that they were actually playing with their expectations a bit because you see him sitting making the food, and she's mm-hmm. sitting there, and and you think it's this you think it's romance that they're dating, right? Right. And then she's like, "I'm going to go get some get some more spices, whatever." And then he grabs her arm. And then you, as the viewer, and she, as the character, realize that he's not just there enjoying her companies. Right. He's, you know, and in his case, he was conflicted. He's doing a job, and also he cares about her. But um, I thought that was great. That was really surprised me that he grabbed her hand yeah. and said, actually, you can't leave. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was really cool. I liked that a lot. Um, I was disappointed that, that um, Crossbones was taken out in the first act, although it yeah. was, you know, people have to be... You know, people have to die in these stories to really feel the weight of it. And, um, and uh, you know, I'd love to have seen him be captured in some way mm-hmm. so we could have him later on just because I liked the character so much. But uh, I it like was the, compelling. I like the character, but I don't know if I was 100% sold on the actor playing him. Oh, really? He didn't quite have – because to me, Crossbones has always had that uh, uh, Ron Lim bulk, uh, big, yeah. deep voice – I see what you that mean. kind of thing going on, and this guy didn't quite fit that to me. But I, I love the costume and the, like the the actions of the character. But I, he wasn't necessarily somebody that was like, oh, I really wish I could see him in another movie, kind of thing. I don't know because I, I, I don't think that even in the comics, I don't think Crossbones was internally consistent because sometimes he was drawing like a Bane character, mm-hmm. and then other times he's firing a sniper rifle and very pivotal right. moments. So, you know. It, I, I like, I like the impression of him as a, you know, a tactical agent who's now a villain. Right. Like I bought that. I bought that that guy was, the guy. You know, that the guy from the cat movies has continued on and now has become this character. Like right. He did feel consistent. It wasn't like one of those things where, uh, Hammond in uh, Green Lantern, you know, <laughs> has the exposure and is suddenly this giant brained you know supervillain. Hmm. <laughs> It, it felt consistent in the storyline that he would get to where he was, and I wish that we could see more of him. But um, yeah, 
But uh, also, do you think that he do you think that his job was to do you think his job was to lay a bomb that would cause mass casualties to blame to uh, to look bad for the Avengers? Or do you think he felt like it was a suicide mission from the beginning? You know, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know if it was that thoroughly planned or if that was just kind of a side effect of it. I mean, he clearly came prepared to do what he did in terms of sacrificing him for that plan. But I get the the vibe that Crossbones wouldn't be the kind of guy that was like, yeah, I'm going to sacrifice myself, Harry Carey kind of thing. Right, right, right. Yeah, it seems like something went awry there enough that he kind of had to do the the last-minute predator thing instead yeah. of actually laying it out like he'd planned to. Don't you, but, do you, but don't you think that the, that the operation that they were doing was, bigger picture, designed to lure the Avengers out and embarrass them? I think so. Yeah, oh, because wow. they, they knew he was there, right? Right. Yeah, yeah, I think it was definitely, like, the end result was definitely what they were aiming for. I just think that it wasn't necessarily exactly how Crossbones <laughs> would have liked it to work yeah, out. Sure. <laughs> yeah, it almost seemed like one of those things where even, like, you know, you almost expect it, like, it, it's on his back. He doesn't even know it's there. <laughs> right, <laughs> He's get right. Up anyway. Um, so when you get down into the 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 nitty-gritty of the whole conflict with cap trying to keep bucky from capture oh there was a lot of things that we got from the trailers what what a great example of despite getting kind of slapped for so much exposure in the last few weeks of giving up so much footage in the end the major civil war trailers that we watched and we tried to piece things together how great was it that we were wrong about all of them practically actually that was my wife's biggest complaint about this movie she hated how much of the movie we saw in the trailers Um, what we saw we interpreted what we saw incorrectly based on how they cut it together like we thought that we thought that that was a supermax prison we thought that that prison Mm -hmm. coming out of the water was the same one that had the hydra logo on it and that was the one that held bucky and it wasn't and we thought that bucky was was we were seeing images of bucky being employed in the present day we were seeing flashbacks yeah and then later we saw employed in the present day so i don't know i i thought for if, if you're willing to accept that they have to show good chunks of these action movies to get people invested in them, what I like about it was it was a lot of misdirects. Well, here's her biggest complaint about it. There were a lot of misdirects, yes, but the biggest scene in the trailer, I thought you – Bucky's my friend. I thought you were my friend or whatever. And then the yeah. big throwdown with Bucky, Iron Man, and Captain America oh, yeah. at the very end of the movie that they showed in its entirety in every single trailer – kind of thing. You watch the entire movie knowing, even though they've made up, that there's going to be some big throwdown fight at the end right. of it. And so that was her biggest complaint with it, is that that scene shouldn't have been in the trailers. Because up to that point, you had no idea that was coming if you hadn't seen the trailers. I, I think that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. Um, how cool was it that um, again, the trailers made this difficult to predict and I'm glad that we didn't know what was happening but how cool was it that it was vision miss vision missing that took out war machine yeah I thought that was really cool actually I thought that was a really solidly shot thing 
and and according to the 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 curious laws of physics in the Marvel universe that also allow Ant Man to retain mass when he wants it and inertia <laughs> when he wants it, but have lightness when he wants it. Here right. we also have uh, we have now um, this is the second time that an Iron Iron Man armored person has fallen from the sky, landed landed with full impact, and not become right a sack a of pancake. Juice, right? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, I thought that was a pretty solid scene. Uh, Honestly, the airport scene in and of itself was one of the best superhero fight scenes I've ever seen in a movie. I think it is the best. I can't think of anything that was as... They got it so right about how you're following different people fighting at once. Right, right. And there was never a point where you're like, I don't know who just was doing that. I don't know what's going on. I don't know who's fighting who. All of it was just clear and beautifully shot. There was excellent fighting. There was good humor. There were some surprises, which I really appreciated. The... um... That wasn't to you. I mean, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> don't talk about the surprises. <laughs> but I mean, I give I give Joss Whedon's Avengers a hard time because I had such I had I had high hopes for the potential for them, and I didn't like. I mean, he accomplished so much that was so hard. Right. But I wanted to see things done differently. Those, you know, I complained before that the the team attack scenes in the Avengers movies were muddy mm-hmm. and. Just sort of like look like he was recreating splash pages from comics, which don't make right. sense anyway. Whereas here, it felt like I was watching a really a really fun role playing game uh, scenario, right? Right. Everybody was sparring off against people, but then switching switching opponents and 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 interacting with each other, and the battle was moving all around this environment. Yeah, and it was very dynamic and fluid. I just thought yeah, I, it, it was, was very visceral. I loved excellent. watching. It. Yeah. Yeah, there wasn't any part of that fight that rang untrue or... Uh, although that was... The scene in that was actually another one where it bothered Lindsay because it showed Black Widow supporting Captain America in the trailer oh, yeah. and that never happened anywhere through there. But generally speaking... I didn't speaking, want to see Spider-Man in the trailer. I was pissed Yeah. Trailer. We didn't even see that. Yeah, I would have been totally fine with seeing the webbing his voice, yeah. and that was it kind of thing. But yeah. my God, is Spider-Man amazing in this movie. How is it that they... We came out of the theater just stunned that they made oh, more uh, characterization, motivation, and charm, and like just enthusiasm yeah. on that character in, in one arc, one, one act of a movie, than they right. did in five solo films. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he had... More personality and more Peter Parker jokiness and perfection in that, what, 15 minutes top screen time that he yeah. had. And he was just amazing in it. I think what really rubbed me the right way, I was talking to my lovely wife about it. And she said, was he annoying like he always is? And I said, no, you know, that's what made it different. He wasn't throwing clever quips at people and right. being really overconfident and, and a, a jackass about it. He was a teenager who's suddenly been invited into the big leagues with the big celebrities of the day and is naturally just, just has diarrhea of the mouth. It's just commenting on what he's thinking without really fear of being, uh, being sounding stupid because he's just, he's just enthusiastic, but at the same time he's dodging bullets and stuff. I thought it was so, uh, refreshing when he's like, Wow, you've got a metal arm, you know? <laughs> or, right. Like, hey, are those carbon fiber wings and blah blah blah? You like 
all that kind of stuff, when they were saying they're all being serious, they're saying there's not this much commentary in, in fights and you need to be serious and whatever. And he's just like, <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, sorry, man. But, uh, you know, like he was so believable as a teenager. I couldn't yeah, believe that. yeah. Honestly, every aspect of the comedy in this movie was 100% on point. I mean, every uh, the the Volkswagen bug and the Winter Soldier and Falcon's little jabs at each other. The two sidekicks jabbing each other. <sighs> they were so, so good. Thing. Can you move the seat up? No. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you so much. Or that whole thing when they're like they're like going yeah after he had his little kissy kiss with the uh, agent. Right. It just shows how well that how Marvel's got this down. Yeah, they know how to use humor in an otherwise serious story to really give you a balance of of experience, right? Right. It's not it's not a comedy or a drama. It's like this this hybrid of emotions while you're watching. It. And look, they got more. They they just carried on the the potential of Paul Rudd as Ant Man oh, right yeah. into the big leagues. Oh my god, he was so believable as that guy. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, I loved the the little jabs about him not being a member of the team kind of thing, and <laughs> yeah, I and and I liked the way they filmed his small scenes where it looked just like Ant Man in the Ant Man movies, and yeah, I, oh my god, I cannot say anything bad about any of the supporting characters in this movie, honestly. The only sour notes were the way Captain America and Iron Man were acting at, in, at parts. Right. Every, uh, fucking Black Panther's phenomenal in this. In a, in a way, Captain America and Iron Man's conflict really did feel like mommy and daddy getting a divorce. That, right? like yeah. They were entrenched into positions with a lot with a lot of uh, implication in their in in any willingness to compromise or any, you know, like they were just like, they, it, it like felt like they were, they were forced into corners. They didn't need to be in that. If they were being more reasonable, they wouldn't be in. Yeah. That's what made me think of like when people, when people are having huge fights with their lovers or they're getting a divorce and you're like, wait a minute, right. You just get out from under all the bitterness and the resentment and the, and all these issues and just kind of remember who you are. Couldn't you have figured this out? Right. Yeah. And that's kind of what it felt like. But, uh, but with Ant-Man, what I really like, my favorite line. I mean, of course, I, I don't know how I didn't see Giant Man coming, even though. I didn't either. And yet, <laughs> yeah, I was just like, what? He's in the comics. <laughs> it's a main thing in the comics. And then it's a thing in Civil War with Goliath. Right. I mean, there was so much about it that. Um, and then, frankly, once he got big, I started wondering if we were going to get the the Civil War. I mean, I knew Ant-Man and Wasp had been greenlit, so I didn't mm -hmm. see how they were going to do it, but I started to get a little bit nervous, like, wait a minute. You know, <laughs> maybe he's going to get cored. Right. It's a war, but, you know. Um, but my favorite line that he had in the whole thing was, and I'm sure it was improvised, probably improvised, but what he, he jumps out of the van and he says, you know, oh, hey, I can't believe it's you. And, and or, you know, you know, Captain America, wow. <laughs> and then he turns and he goes, and I know you too. You're cool. <laughs> right. I know you. I've seen you guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Paul Rudd is such perfect spot on casting for that character. It's just ridiculous. With him and Chris Pratt, it's just like I can't. Yeah. They, they carry on the tradition of Robert Downey Jr., you know, bringing a, a level of personality to the character that then defines the character. Right? Well, you know, I have to say the same about Captain America, though, because he oh, was yeah. a completely milquetoast, no interest character for me and always has been. And I think that there's something about Chris Evans that he just brings that just the right level of, like, good boy charm to the character that it, it makes him actually appealing, which surprises the hell out of me. 
you do buy you buy him and his motivations. You feel like you're really they made him seem real in a way that I never thought they would. And and, yeah. and charming. You do want to root for him and you do want to to you know, be pals with him or whatever. I mean, he's very endearing in that way. Right. Which makes which makes the third act reveal very painful and realistic. Mm-hmm. But before but but one more thing before that I want to say, um, talking about fleshing out extra characters, um, they don't even need the Black Panther solo film. I mean, no. they've already now defined that this character is fully fully ready to go well drawn origin story's done mm-hmm. got it all figured out and they did it so so uh, organic good. in the yeah. story right yeah the only honestly the only thing that worries me about the black panther movie is that winter soldier's up there and that they're going to turn it into another winter soldier movie i'm really hoping that he doesn't play into the plot at all in that movie well i don't know i mean i think that it it gives a it gives a reason for people to discover this not really Savage Land. Wakandan. Right, but the vibranium and the yeah. the King's death and all of that stuff realistically should be enough reason for that. I I have to say, like, I'm not the biggest Winter Soldier fan in the world anyway. He's probably my least interesting character in the Avengers movies in a lot of ways. Like, I loved the Winter Soldier movie, but in this movie, Winter Soldier seemed almost more of a MacGuffin for most of the mm. film. He just doesn't. Was. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I hope that he's not the MacGuffin in, he's not the Wakandan MacGuffin kind of thing. All right. Yeah. I can, I can buy that for sure. I did like the, I did like the, um, I did like the purpose that it served for him to be taken to Wakanda. That yes. Black Panther was born out of hatred to avenge his father's death and has had the present, you know, heart. has evolved yeah. and realized that now, yeah, it's amazing considering how many of the characters are basically back to square one at the end of the movie, and right. yet they introduce a character, have him have a crisis of faith, make a complete character change, and be a totally different dude by the end of the movie. That's phenomenal that they did all that with and Black Panther. And do it Panther. well, right. And do yeah. it successfully, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk. So what do you think? Let's talk. So should we talk about uh, Zemo and then, the, and then the third act's big reveal? Sure, or? sure. I think that's Because they're kind good. of related, right? Yeah. I was I was underwhelmed by the by the casting of Zemo when we saw it mm-hmm. in the in the spoiler days, and as he's used in the movie leading up, I'm thinking this is another non this is another non villain character in the Marvel universe that just never rises to the challenge that it could have been. Right. But I quickly realized that he is not supposed to be. Right. He's a mech- he is a mechanism to, to create this conflict and his personal motivation to bring those two together in a final whatever scenario right uh was was internally consistent i guess for his character i have some questions about why that happened at the end but yeah i have questions about about the why and the how and everything in terms of zemo (laughs) i i liked the actor a lot but his motivation and how he found what he found and why he went the direction he went didn't necessarily make any real logical sense when you try to break it down yeah, I mean, it was his was his goal to alienate and ruin Winter Soldier to the point where Winter Soldier and the Avengers and everybody were to be consumed in controversy and lack of faith from the from the public and just basically destroy them from within. I 
I guess. Well, and like, where did he hear about the Winter Soldier in the first place, let alone enough to look for these weird hidden documents and books and keywords? Because if his basis for his ire is coming from Sokovia, that's a completely non-Winter Soldier aspect of things. Right, right. And so for him to be like, this guy is the way I can tear the Avengers apart – it, it that that thread didn't ever really gel for me, right? But I did really like the actor. I thought he was really solid as the role, but it felt like he needed some sort of connection to that past for it to have made sense. So here's here's my thinking about Zemo. Um, I loved that he was a slow burn character in the in the movie. Mm-hmm. I loved it. It it veers a little into our famous Lex Luthor territory. Okay. It does. This guy was a very interesting character that didn't need to be Zemo in the it same didn't. way that I liked it Eisenberg. absolutely didn't need to be. I, I liked Eisenberg a lot more than I liked him as Lex Luthor. And mm-hmm. I know you guys don't like Luth- Eisenberg at all in the role, but at least for me, it was more palatable. Lex when Luthor I was never must- played by Eisenberg. <laughs> <laughs> Understood. So, with with regards to this guy, though, mm-hmm. I love that you have the recurring what initially seems like one of those chilling things where he's being really pleasant family guy. But then at the same time, is a, a sadistical killer. I love right. the reveal that he's listening over and over again to the recordings of his family. Yeah. Before before the 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 destruction. And I loved that the, you were getting the sense that he was long committed to this gambit, this final thing that he was doing. He's been dead forever. Like yes. He's been dead. Since his family was dead. However, <clears throat> similar to the storyline in the comics, I thought hey, everyone, that we were going to get we... a reveal that what? Oh my! <laughs> some uh, web page just suddenly started playing. That's been up the entire time we've been recording. I don't know why it suddenly started making music. Uh, that was just really strange. Sorry. <laughs> you just had a, you just had one of those like George Clooney in a Coen Brothers movie double takes. <laughs> Damn, we're in a tight spot. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that they were going to pull a Red Skull reveal, and I thought it was going to be that because if you want a, if you want motivation for pitting everybody against each other, forcing Cap out from his own country, right, forcing him to an alienated position, all of those concepts in the comics were about the only way you could defeat someone as virtuous as Captain America is to undermine his own faith in himself, right, his relationship with people. You ruin his. You ruin his persona and all of the things that he believes in. You force him to do things he's not supposed to do that he'd never do. Like you force him to kill someone he didn't want. You know, those things, if you break down the construct of who he thinks he is, then you defeat him. Exactly. I thought this was going to lead to a third act where uh, Zemo was going to reveal that he was right. In fact, the skull. I would have I would have actually really preferred that in some ways. I, it, it would have at least explained why he knew about – even if it wasn't the Red Skull. If it had been something where it was like, oh, well, I knew about this because I had some sort of connection to it in my past, at least it would have had some more legitimate motivation and finale in that terms. One of the, one of the coolest things about that whole – series of Captain America comics that got me into this story on a character I didn't care about, right? Right. Was uh, the concept that there would be a long con Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. by Captain America's old enemies banding together. Yeah. With with uh uh with with what's his name the doctor that was the mind control expert right who's actually been mind... he's been used it yeah I can't remember his name, his name again. well he, you know he was a major player in the first season of Agent Carter in the in the oh, okay. in the past story so with in the comics it was him and and oh it was a uh, okay so anyway in the comics it was Red Skull and him Doctor whatever and then uh. Crossbones and these guys all working together mm-hmm. in a long plot to to belittle to take down everything that made Captain America who he was, destroy him from within, and then destroy him. It wasn't okay. enough to kill him. You had to ruin his life. You had to ruin his own sense of self before you did it. Um, I thought in the comics that was an interesting motivation. Yeah. Very petty, very yeah. petty, but interesting motivation. So, you know, I thought that's where it was going to go, and it really didn't. And I guess in a way it did because he was trying to. He led them to the. I don't know. Well, actually, he led uh, him to the tape that he had no reason to know existed. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I did really um, like that in, the, in that last scene when they teased this whole, oh, there's more Winter Soldiers and there's going to be all these big bads to fight against. And you get there and they're all dead. That was good. I really liked that. Uh, my buddy that I was with was outraged that we were promised more Super Soldiers and we didn't <laughs> thought that, that was a bait and switch. But you know me, right? I'm frustrated by uh, uninteresting, cannon similar fodder. villains, yeah, cannon fodder. And I thought that they were setting up a third act of super soldier fighting when already, right? It just one guy was enough, right? And and then to have him, him not only be dead, but to have him actually have been the one he shot them all in there, right? In their containers. That his deal was, I'm take, I'm, I'm taking all these guys out. Um, no, that was an interesting surprise. Yeah, I like that. I thought that was really good. I liked that part much better than when he pitted Superman against Batman by <laughs> I mean it, the the parallels between these two movies is super right? bizarre when you look at it that way. There's the TV guys are like, "Oh man." <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're like, "Oh, why didn't we add Spider-Man to our movie?" Yeah, it's it's just it's strange to me the parallels particularly in that last part and that was easily the worst part of the movie for me because it was super hyper violent way more violent than it really 100% needed to be and my wife as soon as she saw Winter Soldier shooting people in the car she's like that's Tony Stark's family and I was like yeah oh yeah like in the theater as soon as that happened she was like oh my god (laughs) wow I fell for the I fell for the red herring that it was about the serum Ah, yeah. Um, I didn't really think about it. Um, I was actually already thinking about the camera. (laughs) (laughs) See, that didn't bother her. (laughs) How great was it that they used, and this goes back to the thing of ruining, you know, just kill it, you know, ruining the heroes through their feelings instead of through their Mm -hmm. their powers. How great was that reveal that turns it completely personal on the other side? Because previously to that, you know, you you were heavily pro cap. Mm-hmm. In the narrative, right? Right. Absolutely. I always say pro Iron, you know, team Iron Man because I like Iron Man, but you know, and I was really team Black Widow. But the point <laughs> is, you know, the, the the narrative is following the protagonist's cap through the whole thing, and just right. like we thought it would. But in that last scene, where he admits, where where Steve Rogers admits that he knows that Bucky killed Tony Stark's parents, mm-hmm. that betrayal. Yeah, that he knew the whole time. That was... didn't tell him. Yeah. 
it yeah, because me. Yeah, go ahead. The whole reveal thing and Winter Soldier being, once again, another MacGuffin for it, and the reason for them fighting each other at the end, if Cap hadn't known about it, it would have been a totally different scene. And I think the fact that he knew and hadn't told Tony was really good. I think that was about the only thing that really saved that scene for me. And it, Yeah, because it, it, it made... It was the ultimate step to make Captain America feel like a real person and not this black and white. Everything is everything is is the way I see it. And, you know, I'm I, I'm not at fault because I'm fighting for what I believe in or I'm following my convictions that I've been broadcasted. Even in the funeral scene from dead characters are telling me to do exactly what I'm doing. And, you know, yeah, I do no wrong. And here's an example of where actually for all of his rhetoric about how the world is a much more complex place than the simplicity of his propaganda in World War II. Right. Well, here's, here's a case where he knew some intelligence and, you know, didn't share it that was absolutely pivotal to the identity of his friend. Right. And would be incriminating his other friend, and he'd pick the side. So, I don't know. To me, that was just really powerful. Yeah. I loved it. I loved it, loved it, loved it. And I also thought, and I just I love the fact that this movie did not give us the deaths the Snyder deaths. Yeah. Everyone was expecting. I love that we had a shield in the chest plate. Mm-hmm. And he's laying there with his malfunctioning armor and he stops. And it was yeah. sort of like at that moment, it was a, in the same way that the Sokovia scenes of them picking up refugees with right. the lifeboats was a response to certain things. Um, Superman, I think, in that case, mm-hmm. in this in this moment, it felt like even though the timing doesn't really work out in terms of the production of the movies, but this scene of him stopping the battle, right, and resisting finishing it, felt like a response to all of the criticisms about the WB stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Where characters are killing and seemingly killing out of character, right? And then here's one that has every justification to finish the battle and stops. Yeah, he fought bare minimum until it was time to stop. And on the flip side, Iron Man was still pulling punches. Right, right. He was still tr- not trying to kill people either. Yeah. So, I don't know, I thought that was interesting. And that also reminds me of that great line in the in the airport scene when <clears throat> when uh, Scarlet... Uh, oh, God, yeah, with Scarlett yeah, Johan- Johansson and Hawkeye. <laughs> yeah, yeah are we still friends? Well, yeah. And then, and then have, and then have Scarlet Witch take him out. Yeah. yeah, I love that. I thought that was really good. <laughs> I, you know, ever since I've seen Ultron, I have a new respect and like enjoyment of Hawkeye that I did not have prior right. to seeing that. Right. And I think he's really good in this. I think he's, to a certain extent, he's kind of become the soul of the team in a lot of ways because he's that guy that's the military man who has that secret family at home and that kind of right. thing. I really like the way they've done that with his character. He feels a little bit like the Kitty Pride of the team too. Right? He does like, absolutely. He's, he's the window in of the much more. He's the more normal feeling of the more human feeling of the characters. Yeah, in the, with the most risk. And I like that uh, in that scene where Tony starts walking around the imprisoned former Avengers, mm-hmm. and they're giving him a bunch of shit, and he's giving them a bunch. Of, I should just slap myself about five times. After <laughs> that. Anyway, and I like the references. The fact, like, wow, so all that all that talk about being a family man and wanting to be with your children and all that. But when cat calls, you come running, right? Right. So I don't know. Yeah. It was just very interesting and very surprising. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. Good movie. And, it, and also, 
here's another thing uh, before I forget. Vision missing and, and Vision being conflicted between his his concept of what should be happening versus his what he thinks he's supposed to be doing and all that. Right. I love that they gave him enough. You give a hint that he's evolving mm-hmm. and his thinking is evolving and his and he's growing emotion and he's you know, he's in, he's in internal change, if not conflict, right. but that was to him being less than perfect, i.e. making the shot that was slightly off and then mm-hmm. taking out. Um, what a great way of neutering a su- one of the Omegas, right? Right. They took, they took Thor and Hulk completely off the board. Mm-hmm. And then vision is obviously the big heavy after them, along with Scarlet Witch. Right. And they allowed his, his distraction to be a, a major plot point, which I yeah. thought was cool. Yeah. I thought that was really interesting. So yeah, again, little things that could have been done differently that would have made it the perfect movie for superhero right. stuff. I still I don't know where it falls in the in the rankings of the MCU movies or even superhero movies in general, but I think it's way up there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I still have more of a love and affinity for the smaller scale movies i like winter soldier ant-man guardians of the galaxy although guardians of the galaxy really isn't a small scale it feels like it's a smaller scale right and those type of movies are definitely higher on my list but civil war is extremely high up there i mean this is the 13th marvel movie in their sequence not counting the ones that came before that that they didn't count or any of the spider-man and x-men ones and it's just i swear they're just dialing it in tighter and tighter every time uh i still think i prefer winter soldier over this i think um I loved I watched watching that movie again fairly recently um for the most part <laughs> I um I still think the ground level espion world of espionage mm-hmm. born identity application to the Captain America story was my most that that's my favorite thing they've done in the MCU right and in the same way that I liked it so much because it was like born I think I like this one so much because it was like they took Avengers and gave it the Winter Soldier treatment, yeah. which just means giving yeah. it the Born Identity treatment. So ultimately, right. what I want is small scale stuff too, street <laughs> level, street level in the street, you know, lots of risk, mm-hmm. uh, very urgent stuff. Um, See, and, and I'm not even so much about the the urgency and the the risk stuff because. Honestly, like my favorite movies have been, I really like Ant Man, Guardians of the Galaxy. Thor is actually still really high up there. I don't know if it's necessarily number three, but it's and none of those necessarily have the same urgency to them. Iron Man's honestly, Iron Man three is probably my favorite of the Iron Man movies. And once again, that's definitely a smaller scale Shane Black style movie. Yeah, and yeah. Speaking of urgency and uh, and and that sort of thing, have you done your Runaways casting? So, what would you say is your favorite part of the Civil War movie? <laughs> what, what was your red tentacle, Tom? <laughs> my red tentacle. We were supposed to prepare. Uh, so, my red tentacle scene in this movie, I think, has to be. I think it has to be the way that they incorporated. I, okay, I'll tell you what it is. I think that my red ten, my red tentacle scene, not so much moment, my red mm-hmm. tentacle scene was uh, Tony Stark in 
Peter Parker's apartment. Damn it. That was going to be my choice, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you have impeccably good taste. I mean, you barely touched on it, but I mean, yeah. Talk about, I mean, it could have been a play, right? It could it have a, been. One film, or one scene, scene, one set scene or something. Mm-hmm. And there was so much, there was so much happening there. Yeah. So cool. They managed to convince, they managed to pull this together and convince this guy to go run off and join the big leagues. Right. Um, the way Hammond, Holland, 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 played the nervous, I've been caught, but I don't know if I want to admit it, but I asked, I guess I have to. And then he's yeah. kind of defensive about his choices a little bit. And all that <laughs> right, right. And just the squirrely way that Robert Downey Jr., plays the smartest man in the room and plays off yeah. of him. They just had really great chemistry to, together. Like, like to the point that, honestly, the, the only sour note of that is I'm not 100% sold on Aunt May. Oh, that was the coolest thing. I thought it was hilarious <laughs> that he was making these, like, Oh, I thought it was great. I, I love the, the, the jokery and kind of the, the slightly creepy perviness thing going on where he was... Doing Straight the milk fourth thing, wall. fourth wall to the viewer, right? <laughs> but I this just was anime. Yeah, yeah. I just like I liked it for that one scene. I just don't know how I feel about her being Aunt May in an, a full movie kind of Why sequence. She's just the not actress? the Aunt May that we've grown up with. This Spider-Man is the definitive Spider-Man that we've grown up with. The humor, the young age, the awkwardness, the the strength that he doesn't know quite yet. All of that is there. And then they give us MILF May. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to have to agree to disagree on that point. Yeah, um, I think it's actually really interesting that his that his uh, his parental unit is much younger and and is not a one note, the kindly elderly woman that's constantly in peril. I don't know. Maybe it's because I really like Big Hero Six, mm-hmm. and Big Hero Six has that same construct where the character, the main protagonist in that film, who's a teenager, mm-hmm. his, his aunt, or I guess it's his aunt, uh, who's taking care of him. Is, is, is a much her name person. May too? What's that? <laughs> we just become best friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> anyway, I don't know. I like, but then again, I just really, I just really like, see, um, I yeah. really like Marissa Tomei a lot. I think she's wonderful. I think she's a great actress. She's gorgeous. I just, I don't know how I feel about the dynamic changes so dramatically, having it be a young, sexy Aunt May living in an apartment in Brooklyn or wherever, mm. as opposed to the older one that's a little easier for Spider-Man to sneak in and out of and yeah. making him big piles of wheat cakes and that kind of thing. <laughs> and maybe I'm just stuck in that, that 50s aspect that I really enjoyed, but... Sure. We'll have to see. Right. Well, yeah, we'll have to see. A, I bet the red tentacle still applies. I mean, it's that yeah. scene. Yeah, absolutely. Move the, move the leg. I'm gonna sit. Yeah. You, know. uh, you actually bought. You bought that this kid has been doing this, you know, on the side. Yeah. You bought that he's confident in what he can do, but he also feels. You bought his motivation when he expressed it, it was a very natural thing to express that he's like saying, "Well, you know, I'm, I can do so much, but yet I can't. Yeah. I'm not allowed to do the things I can do." For fear of the the consequences, right? Uh, and here's a chance you can do more. Take take the leap and join the big leagues, and I and I'm going to let you be part of something bigger. Um, it kind of reminded me of, and I guess maybe this is, I, I think there was more natural 
um, emotion in the scene than I'm giving it now. But mm-hmm. in this aspect, it reminded me of when you see the 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 reasons why young men and women enter the service, mm-hmm. right? They have these these ideals that are very powerful to them, uh, despite their young age. Right. And then you think about how they're then used as weapons, right? They're right. Used well, as, Captain America. Yeah, I mean, right? really. Um, right. Speaking of which, since you stole my red tentacle scene, I will choose the scene in the stairway where Captain America is reading the text because that's just so super powerful. <laughs> what, is, what was it about it specifically that you love so much? Well, it's just him finding out that the, the one connection he had to his past that he genuinely loved besides Bucky is gone. And it was really brief, and it was shot from above, so you don't see his expression necessarily. But just that scene in and of itself was just that one quiet, sad moment in the movie. Less is more, right? Yeah, yeah. Have this dramatic thing with his face and all this. It was just him quietly processing this. And also, what I liked about it was he's like, I gotta go. And you think he's been given some news that he's gotta go and do a mission. Right. And he just needs a little privacy to process some a gripping loss. Yeah, it was just so real. Two people, he's fighting for the two people that existed in his past. Right. And it was just such a real response to that text. It wasn't, oh, well, I, I can't talk about this. I have something that came up. It's just literally you read that, you get up and leave kind of thing. And I thought yeah. that was really good. On the subject of hallways, my buddy pointed out that just like the WB guys are looking at this movie going, ugh. <laughs> 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 Yeah, um, he pointed out that the the showrunners for Daredevil must have been looking at this, going, "We just we just did our whole our our, our, our stairwell scene, and you had to come and ruin it." Yeah, because his stairwell scene that was an incredible sequence. It was very good. Yeah, I prefer the Daredevil one, but I mean, this was it was really awesome to watch them do that whole fight and some of the things they did. They love to play. This movie was all about kinetics. Yeah, it's really strong impacts of things and these these irrational application of mass on things like in that scene, him pulling the, you know, pulling the guard, the, the baluster rails yeah. down using them to so swing, and then good. he's throwing people at other people and, and <laughs> slamming them into things and then riding bodies down and all this. And it was just, it was all this stuff that makes born identity movies so great yeah. using things around him as weapons, but to 11, right? Right, right. And the aspect where cap like, like visually chastises him at that one point where the winter soldier almost kills someone and (laughs) like that kind of thing is, was just, they managed to cram so much personality into that scene that I thought was just so strong. I loved the way they used the, the, the railings. Yeah, it was excellent scene. It was really good. Well, so I guess we could say we, we could have seen certain things done better, Mm -hmm. but it was, Pretty damn awesome. I agree, sir. You think there's a chance you're going to see it again? I'm sure I'll see it again at some point. Uh, It's not something that I'll run out and see in the theater, probably. There's too many other things coming out that I need to see. (laughs) Well, yeah. Yeah. But I was struck by how there are some movies that I walk out of the theater and think, I'd like to just turn around and walk right back in. Mm -hmm. Force Awakens was like that with me. I was still so swimming in the nostalgia of it that at the end of the movie, I wanted to turn around and watch it right away. I well, came out of this one sort of exhausted. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, yeah, we, we came out drenched in sweat and <laughs> and 
You know, the thing that this movie did make me want to do, and I, I say this is a good thing, it made me want to read comic books. Yeah, like, I came home and was like, oh, I need to load some stuff on my fire and read some comics. So... It felt like a comic book movie that wasn't pandering as a comic yeah, book movie, right? Yeah, exactly. It wasn't yeah. a, oh, I gotta read comics to wash the taste out of my mouth, like Batman vs. <laughs> Superman was. <laughs> yeah, right. I thought of one other thing I was gonna mention. Um, you know how there's a lot of... You know how there, there's talk about movies and stories where it's like, well, if you do something new, mm-hmm. it's interesting. And if you retread then you're wasting time. You're just copying, right? And you're always looking for that thing, and it's very easy for that to become a crutch where you got it's got to be a bigger bad or there's got to be a more uh, dynamic uh, murder death of the Mm -hmm. bad guy or there's got to be this, that. What I liked in this one was um, what was unique to this movie that I hadn't seen before was – they establish super speed running, not yeah. not flash speed, but ten times the Olympian speed. Yeah, um, there were times when you could kind of see there. It was it was blurry, but you could kind of you kind of got the sense. It was hard to rationalize their footfalls a little bit, a little right. bit, but but it, but it really did feel you saw the relationship between them booking it and the cars around them, and you got a really strong sense that they were running faster than the traffic and mm-hmm. that they were running at a speed that a human couldn't run at. And right. I really appreciated that. Yeah. I thought that was a neat effort anyway. Yeah, I thought that was really good. I And I liked that it wasn't just run, 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 run. Captain America knew that, okay, I need to get in a car because this there's only so much sustained speed that any of us can do kind of thing. And, and uh, the fucking grab of the bike was like, uh, yeah, for me, that was, was awesome. That might have been my biggest uh, sort of jump out of my seat moment as far as just being thrilled by the experience. So good. Him grabbing that bike and spinning it around and losing all that map, that, uh, that the inertial moment of it. Yeah. Uh, to me, it was just amazing. I thought it was so good. Yeah, it was genuinely amazing. <laughs> genuinely. So I guess that's our Civil War review, huh? Yeah, I think so. 33 out of 33 tentacles. Something, <laughs> Something along those lines, yeah. So that was Captain America Civil War. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Sorry about the screw-ups with the microphone and the recording and everything. That was entirely my bad. Uh, hopefully we'll have this all figured out now that I have a new microphone and we're ready to rock and roll. We will be back next week with our review of the most recent two episodes of Game of Thrones and all the usual planned plundering, art technique, talk, news, and madness that you come to love from Robot Kraken. If you'd like to get a hold of us, you can always go to www.robot-kraken.com. You can also send us an email at salty at robot-kraken.com. If you'd like to get a hold of Tom individually, he is on Twitter at TRDL, or you can send him a message at Tom, T-H-O-M, at thirdraildesignlab.com. And you can reach me, Deeply Dapper, that's my username on Twitter and Instagram. You can also send me an email, deeplydapper at gmail.com. And as always, you can always go to deeplydapper.com and download and stream every episode of Robot Kraken we've ever made, as well as every episode of my other podcast, Deeply Dapper Dispatches, and other sweet stuff. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week. Time to put the Kraken back in its cage. <laughs>